Amen. Well, good morning, Salem. It's a hearty, hearty, hearty welcome to you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem. And as I was thinking through uh, those worship songs, a couple of things just kind of came to my mind. First one uh, was, you know, maybe you're in a place this morning where uh, you are singing wherever you go. And there's a ton of joy in your life, ton of joy in your heart. Uh, maybe uh, where you're at this morning is God is not moving my mountains and I have no answers to those things in life. And so maybe that's where you are. But the good news is that third song really wraps it all up, right? Whoever we are, wherever we're at, Christ is above us, below us, before us, and behind us. Amen? Yeah, super, super, super awesome. So we are glad that you guys are here uh, this morning. So, hey, I want to start this morning with something a, a little bit uh, different. A little audience participation. This is always fun. Uh, you never know how, how it's going to go. So how many of you guys, show of hands, have heard of a store called Trader Joe's? Okay, awesome. <laughs> Same thing happened last service. This makes me fearful because then I don't know if my <laughs> illustration is going to work. Um, how many of you guys have heard of uh, cookie butter? Oh, yes. Okay, just a few of you. That's great. Okay, so how many of you, show of hands, have never, ever had cookie butter? Oh, this is, okay, perfect. Okay, here's what I need. I need one of you who has never tried cookie butter. Maybe someone who's a little bit younger, you know, uh, elementary, middle school, high school. Anybody? 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 Want to come on up? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, come on over. Yeah. Yeah, give, give a hand. All right. Okay, so all this, you can hold it, and uh, I think I turned it on, hopefully it's on. So I have no clue who you are, so can you tell me who you are? My name is Ethan. Ethan, hey, we say th hello to Ethan, yeah. <laughs> Super cool. Ethan, uh, how old are you? I am 11. And what grade are you in? Fifth. Way cool. What do you want to do with your life? Um... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just couldn't resist. That's, that's unfair of me. I apologize. Um, so you have never had cookie butter? Nope. Correct. Okay, so I should have asked you this before you came up here. Are you allergic to um, soy, wheat, or nuts, or anything like that? Do you know? No. Okay, great. That's good. <laughs> New volunteer. Anybody? <laughs> um, okay, Ethan. So here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you, as best as you can, right here, right now, to all these wonderful people, can you explain to them how good cookie butter tastes. What does it taste like and how good is it? Probably. Can you try? Uh, and, and here's the tricky part. You don't, you, I'm not giving it to you yet. You just have to try like without tasting it. So how would you describe cookie butter? Um, brown. <laughs> it's brown, all right? So it's got brown flavor, awesome, okay? Anything else? Um, there's a yellow cap on the drug? Yep, that's, yep, that's true. Anything else? Okay, that was, that's really hard. So here's what I'm going to do. It's sometimes it's like, you know, you don't see it. You know it's cookie butter. Like, it's a cookie that's in a butter spread? I don't know. So I'm going to hand it to you, and you can look at it, and you can hold it, and then you can read it. And, but now, now that you've seen it, right, this is kind of step two. Now that you've seen it, can you tell us anything more about cookie butter? It says, do not refrigerate. It says what? It says you should not refrigerate it. Oh, I don't think I did, so we're good. Okay. But is there, is there anything out there on the, about the flavor, about how it tastes? Mm. How you might describe it? Crunchy. It's crunchy. Okay. Good. All right. So we're going to go to the next step. I'm going to just go ahead and take the cap off. And then I'm going to 
be kind of a mother hen here and just scoop this out for you. Um, all right, so here you go. Here's a spoonful of cookie butter, and you can have it. I promise it's COVID-friendly. The guy who used it first service licked it off really, really good, okay? So, <laughs> so you're, there, there's, like, there's nothing left. I made sure, because I even gave it a couple licks, too. So you're, I'm, I'm kidding. It's, it's, out of the, it's out of the dishwasher. What do you think? Tasty. Tasty. <laughs> there we go. All of a sudden, something's changing. Is there anything else? Is there any way you can describe it? Anything? It any? tastes like there's Gwen cracker bits yes, in it. Yes, it does. That's awesome. Good job. Okay. Thank you, Ethan. Appreciate it. That's awesome. Love that participation. So, um, cookie butter is one of my favorite uh, things um, from Trader Joe's. It's not good for you. Um, it does. It tastes like graham cracker, kind of like a spread. Uh, if you've ever been on um, an airplane and had those Biscoff cookies, it's like, they're so good. Yeah, I feel like I just heard a hmm, you know, in the audience. Yeah, I feel, it's like that, except just in a spread. I mean, you can put it on anything. It's really, 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 really good. So cookie butter, but here's the thing, right, is that when we think about cookie butter, um, and, uh, and as Ethan demonstrated for us, is that it's hard to describe something that I've never, ever tasted, isn't it? Right? It's just really, it's just, it's just the way that it works. And so um, what we found in, in Jonah, right, where we've been in this book of Jonah, which is this incredibly rich and deep and tr- impactful, powerful story. But one of the things that we were switching from chapter two into chapter three today, and one of the things that we, that we saw this little glimpse of this last week is that there's something happening inside of Jonah. And it's this, this transition from something intellectual to something experiential. And that's really what this cookie butter experiment does, right? Is that I can, if I, if I can't look at it, I can't really describe it. I can just do my best. But then when I read it, I can give you a few more details. But once I've tasted it, all of a sudden, it's this whole new experience. And so if somebody asks me, hey, tell me about cookie butter, all of a sudden, I can now tell them. And so there's this transition. And that's really what happens from Jonah chapter 2 to Jonah chapter 3. And that's kind of where we're at in the story. And so here's what I want to do. I want to start uh, in in Jonah chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to jump in with me. Um, We're only going to be in five verses, so very short, um, but very, very good, good, good stuff. And so there's going to be this transition from what Jonah experienced, and it's going and we're going to move into the actual Ninevites, okay? So here we are. Chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, uh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, when we read these first two verses, it's, <laughs> there's some deja vu happening here, Right? Because when you read this, you go, this sounds very familiar, and it should sound familiar, because this is the original plot line of the entire story. It's just taken us two chapters, two full chapters, to come full circle back to where we were. So if you're in your Bibles, this isn't on the slides, but if you're in your Bibles, you can look at chapter 1, verse 1. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Okay, so the mission, the the call is still the same, but here it answers the question, why? Why call out against it? And he says, for their evil has come up before me. 
Okay, so now here's the deal. Like evil is, is an understatement. So if you've just, if you've joined us in the middle of this series or you've been here the whole time and maybe you've forgotten some of the things that we talked about in the beginning, we remember like it's Jonah, like God was, it's like Jonah bring, or God brings up the Ninevites again. I want you to go to Nineveh. It's gonna create this flood of emotions for Jonah because Nineveh is association with death. I mean, it's this, this grotesque, brutal, horrifically mean culture. And they're known across the entire world. They have the largest military conquest at the time. And Israel will have, have, has had and will have like these, these, these skirmishes, these wars with Assyria back and forth and back and forth. And, and they eventually even destroy like Jerusalem. It's just this, this, this battle. And so, like, so for Jonah, you hear the word Nineveh and you think about all of the bad things. And, and I don't want to go back through all of the things, but just to set in framework for us, just one of the things that they would do. Because I think we have to remember these things when it comes to thinking about the people that Jonah is dealing with. One of them is, is that the Ninevites in war, when they, um, when they defeat an opponent, they would cut off one of their arms and both of their legs. And then they would shake the hand of the person below them as this form of victory. This way of saying, you had the privilege of shaking hands with your victor as you die. It's just absolutely painful and horrific and, and barbaric in so many ways. And there's so many other things that they do. And so you, you, if God calls that to Jonah and, and he brings this all back up and you start to flood, flood. And Jonah, if I were Jonah, I'd be like, that's totally why I ran away in the first place. Right? I don't want to go there. That is not my preference. That is not what I want to do. That's not the way that I want to live life. There would have been this deep-seated hatred from the Israelites to the Assyrians. And, and, and really, it's like, gosh, we, we don't like them. There's, there's no friendship there whatsoever, not even social media friendship, right? There's nothing that is there, that is present between these two people, um, people groups. And Jonah, by the way, anecdotally, um, I think if I were in Jonah's shoes, I would also have said, hey God, like this is totally unfair. You came to me, you said, here's what I want you to do, and you never ever asked me what I wanted. You never asked for my input. You never said, hey, would you be willing to do, I got this plan, I'd like for you to do it. No, 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 that's not the way it works. I have this plan, I, I'm sending you. <laughs> Right, that was the plan. And so Jonah, gosh, on his mind, he's gotta be thinking, how inconsiderate of God to do this to me? This is not the way that I wanted to do life, right? This is not the way that he wants to do life. Um, and so, I'm gonna come back to our board here, our trusty, our trusty board. So these, these numbers represent, um, up on the board, really chapters one, two, and three. Jonah has four chapters. We'll be there in a few weeks. But we have been up through, and we're starting chapter three. So if you remember, right, so the word of the Lord came to Jonah in, in chapter one, verse one, and right here. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh, okay? Now, Jonah decides he doesn't want to do that, right? So he... Right? He bails on God's plan and he gets on a boat and he flees the other direction. And then all of a sudden we get to chapter two and, and uh, he comes to this screeching halt. <laughs> you know, like the swerving, like a, if a boat could do that, you know. Um, screeching halt because he runs into this problem. Like God is right here. He says, like, they're not going any further. And so what happens in this chapter is that God allows, and we talked about this last week, is that God allows Jonah to what? To sink. 
to sink and to sink. And so here he was, up here at the water, right? He was floating for a while, but eventually he begins to sink and sink and sink. And at each level, right, at each of these different places, he's, he's having to, like, let go in some sense of the things that he, he was holding on to, right? God is removing in this process as he's sinking. God is working in Jonah's heart, and he's removing all of these things and ideas and emotions from Jonah's heart as he, as he goes, and he sinks and he sinks, and eventually in chapter two, it says that he got to the bottom, right? And it says that here he is basically trapped, okay? He's trapped in this box of his sin, right? He's trapped in his sin, but here's the reality, is that not only is this, this whole thing, a a result or a consequence of Jonah's sin, okay, that's very, very true. It was his decision and his choices that led him to this place, and so his sin and his actions is very much a part of this trapped in this box type of a thing, in the cramped in the belly of a fish, but it's also... It's also a result of his sinful nature. So really, it's this symbol for us as people, uh, as readers, to remind us that, yes, when we are here, it's a consequence of our sin, but it's also the symbol of our sinful state, our sinful nature. In all of my brokenness, in all of my depravity, in all of my ickiness, in all of my mess, whether I admit it or not, this is who I am. And to whatever degree I acknowledge that, it doesn't change that this is who I am. And it took this whole process for Jonah to get to this place and realize it. But it's in this chapter, right, in chapter 2, that what happens at the end is that Jonah obviously has a, a change of heart and he repents. And so it says, right, that God brought him up from the pit, right? Even though Jonah deserved death, right? This is the result, the natural result of sin in our lives is death. That's the consequence. For all have sinned, right? That's the type of thing. And so this is who we are. We deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But God brings him out of death and gives him deliverance, right? And the the vehicle for that deliverance is a giant fish who then spits Jonah. (laughs) I thought they'd get a laugh. He spits Jonah up onto dry land, and this is really where we are, right? And so God, God has done a ton in these first two chapters, which by the way, so when we think about verse verse two, right, verse one and two, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, what? A second chapter. Time, which is really, really important because it was over here, right? We come all the way over here to chapter three, and now this is where we are. It's the second try. And so this is where we just want to pause for a moment and celebrate that we worship and we are in relationship with a God who gives second chances. Okay? Like, that's good. Second chances, third chances, fourth chances, right? It just goes and goes and goes. And so here we are in chapter three, and really what Yahweh is saying is, great, okay, all of this happened, let's start again. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> I don't know how many takes you guys had in, that, in the, the dinner theater, right? Take two, take three, take four, right? That's, this, this is what happens. And so when we look back at chapter one, this is interesting because Jonah really was what we thought as readers the perfect candidate for this job. 
God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Well, he's a, he's a righteous man. His name is Dove. And so, like, it's, it's like he's beautiful. He's the righteous. Um, he's a prophet. So he's the perfect example. And yet, what does he do? He does the total opposite. And so this whole story is the story of upside down the way that it's not supposed to be. But even though we thought he was a good candidate here, he's an even better candidate here. Why? Why is Jonah an even better candidate now? Because he's experienced this. Guess what? Guess where the Ninevites are? They're in the same place. You see, the the Ninevites have the exact same problem as Jonah. They have all of the sin in their lives, right? All of the actions, all of the things that they're doing that are in total defiance and in wrong relationship, right? They don't even know the difference between their right hand and their left. And so there's also that sin, but there's also what? This, this sinner nature. It's the same exact thing. It's the exact same thing. So by the way, when, when you look at this, right, this is Jonah, this is the author's beautiful way, in, in, in just very significant way of reminding us that this is the consequence of his sin, but it's also the permanent reality for those people who don't have forgiveness by grace through faith. Right? This is our inability. We cannot escape this at all. And so then what, what the author is doing in this brilliant, brilliant way is to help, help Jonah and therefore us as people, the readers, understand this vital truth that you and I over here are no different than these people over here. Whether I acknowledge it or not, whether I experience it or not, do I murder? No. They, do they murder? Yeah. But am I the same? Yes. Why? Because that's our nature. And that's so tremendously important for us. And if we miss this part of the story, we're missing a huge, huge piece. And so then what God is really doing is saying, even though you're up here, you have the ability to see the depth of what's down here. In all of their mess, they are the same as you. And you, in all of your mess, are the same as them. It's so important. And we have this tendency, I think, in our lives to focus on the sin in people's lives rather than the sinful nature. Because we get judgy really quickly. And we go, gosh, that's all that we see. And we forget that at the core, their nature was the same as mine before Jesus assuming that I have Jesus in my life, right? So that's really, really where we are. And so I think it's so important for us to understand in the transition from chapter two to chapter three is this, okay? And I want you to hear this. God is devoted to Jonah, God is devoted to Jonah, and thank goodness, right? Second chance, third chance, fourth chance, right? Thank goodness, God is devoted to Jonah. Why? Because Jonah is a representation of who? Us, we are Jonah. That's the reality, and that's the truth of this message. And so it's so important. And what God is saying in chapter two is like, like Jonah, I have this tremendous and important and deep and powerful work that I want to do in you. I am devoted to you. No matter how deep your sin goes, it's not a permission to sin, but the more I understand and acknowledge my sin and my brokenness, the deeper God's grace goes and goes and goes. 
works. It's so good. And God says, I have a huge work that I want to do inside of you, inside of the walls of the church. That's chapter two. Chapter three is a reminder to Jonah. As much as I am devoted to you, I am also equally devoted to who? To Nineveh. The call from chapter one has not changed. It's not, like, it's not like Jonah gets to chapter three and he felt like he just bought some time and then God's like, he's like, hey God, what do you want me to do? He's like, you know, actually, i kind of given up on Nineveh, so you don't need to do that. Cool, great, this is awesome. The call is still the same. After all of this work that he has done inside, and so really what God is saying is that what I am doing in you, I want to do the same in people of Nineveh. Let's try this again. Let's start over, take two, right? That's where we're at. And so here we go, into chapter, chapter three, verse three. What does Jonah do? How is his response? First time he fled, this time he arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Okay, I wanna pause there for a second because we titled this series, I titled this series, God's Word in God's World. And it's really, it comes from this. Why? Because it's God saying, I have an authoritative word that I want to speak to you. I have a message that I want to speak to you. It's filled with both grace and truth, right? Uh, You receive, but you also need to act, right? There's all of this stuff, right? And he says, though, but I have a way in which I want you to act and engage in this world. And so it's really what God says about God's world. Right? So that's the series that we're in. Okay, so here's what the, the description that it gives of Nineveh. It says uh, in 3b, it says, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Remember that from chapter 1. Just, you know, means that it's also, it's really big. It's a three days journey in breadth, right? So it's very large. It's going to take a while to preach in it. It's a very important cultural city in its time. Uh, it's also really just significant in God's eyes, right? It's a great city, not just because it's big. It's great because God deems it great and because God has a high value of the people who are in this city right? That's the deal. And I think that that we can read this and we can overlook a very simple truth that we oftentimes miss, even though I know that we all know this, and it's this, the simple truth is that repentance, when I turn, like I run, and then I repent, and I'm turning, guess what? When I repent, it requires obedience. Can you imagine running from God and then repenting only to find Jonah repenting of his repentance? (laughs) Because he'd just do a turn and a turn and then all he'd do is a circle, (laughs) back and forth, back and forth, and he would never move. He would never do what God actually asks him to do. And yet back in chapter two, verse nine, we find that Jonah says, what I have vowed, I will pay. You have done something amazing for me. I want to serve and work that out. I want to be obedient. I will do that which I have said that I will do. And I think it's very important for us as Christians to understand that that oftentimes we, and I say we because I'm including myself, we want justification without sanctification. We want to be declared righteous before God of all of our sin and all of our transgression by grace through faith and we want eternal life. We want all of the good things and yet we want none of the missional side. 
And so if you could just imagine with me for a second, right? Um, what if Jonah gets spit up onto dry land and it's in this space that he says this. He says, God, Yahweh, like you are so amazing. You saved me. Like I was drowning and you literally swallowed me by a fish and I survived in it. Who knew that was possible? And all of a sudden he gets spit back up on land and it's in this space, and he says, man, this is incredible. This is amazing. Wow, this sand is really soft. Wow. Feel how fine that is? Look at the pretty seashells. It's a coconut tree, some shade. I'm going to grab one of those and just sit down in that nice shade and drink some coconut milk. And all of a sudden, God's obedience becomes a Christian spa. You get that? Like that's the reality. Is that, so that's oftentimes the way that we are, that we want the benefits of the gospel without any of this live missionally stuff, without any of the sacrifice, without any of the, the living out my faith and going and talking to people about Jesus. And, Jesus. and God says in this book, Jonah, this is not what this is about. That's not the way that it is. And in Salem, one of the things I love about Salem, and one of the things that actually drew me even to Salem in the first place, is its strong commitment to missions. Like we internally, we, we raise up, we send out, and we support missionaries all across the world. That's incredible. Right, this is an incredible story, the commitment to that type of work. And we go, man, we have done that in the past, we are doing that now, and we want to continue to do that over and over and over. But also, we want to be missional here, in this space, and in this geography, where God has placed us. God has placed many of our missionaries other places, but he has placed us right here. And I just learned, I learned this this last week, and maybe this is wrong, and if it is, you can, you can help me understand. Um, but I think, if I understand correctly, that, that we, in this location right here, are within one half mile radius of the largest density of population in all of Moorhead. Because we have the apartments, and then we have the, the building, um, you know, area just right down the street, that housing development. But not only is it the highest density of population in all of Moorhead, it's also the highest density population of all new Americans. And I go, wow, God has put the nations at our doorstep right here. What might God have in store for us? I don't know. That's incredible to think of the way that we are positioned to make an impact with the gospel. And so for many of us, we say, sign me up. Like, I'm in. Like, you just had me at hello. Like, I want to go. I want to make an impact in this world. But I would caution and just remind us, let's, let's, let's re-enter back into the story. Because the gospel itself, even though it's incredibly powerful, it's also very hard. And, and, the, and the gospel will... Um, will force you to say some things that will make people unlike you. And that's not the way that we typically want to associate with the culture. If you look in chapter three, verse four, right? Jonah, he began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, and he says this, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, you expect ellipses, dot, 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 and <laughs> what's next? Nope, that's the end. That's the end of his sermon. Eight words in English, five words in Hebrew. What, what if that was our message on Sunday morning? Five words. You have 40 days, right? 
Here's what, I, here's what I think is interesting about this, right? Is this, even those five words, is that here's my first, my first point in this, is that, is that doom, even though that sounds hard, doom is actually an important part of the gospel. And why? Why? For, for two reasons. One is this, is because it's an important framework for us as Christians to understand and, and to, to really dig into scripture and to understand that there is a difference between heaven and hell. And that there's a difference between life eternal and life of separation. And that should be painful for us. It really should. It should make us feel uncomfortable and uneasy at times. And so it's a framework for us that we need to understand the reality of the world that we live in. The people that we so oftentimes overlook on any day. On any, and any day. But the second thing why it's important is this. It's important for a framework for non-Christians, for people who don't know Jesus. Why? Because apart from the the consequence of our sin, that is death and separation from God, apart from that, there is no way to answer the question why someone needs Jesus. Like if, if if you exclude that part and if you just go to people and you say, hey man, you want Jesus? They're like, well, tell me why. Well, you know, it's really just more of a, preference thing. If you want Jesus, you can have him. Cool, cool. Okay, well, if that's the case, I don't know that I really need him. And so it's, it's a framework for both of us, right, um, that, that we need to understand. And so apart from this, there's no answer to the question of why. But when we talk about the word gospel, and the gospel is a New Testament word, the word gospel actually means good news. It's from euangelia in the Greek. It means good news. It's really this idea that there's good news that God has. And so when you read this, you go, Jonah, where's the good news? This is all bad news. Like, who likes being the bearer of bad news? You walk in, I don't even like telling my wife bad news. I guess, guess what, honey, bad news. We don't like doing that. We don't like telling that to the world. And yet Jonah here says this is bad news. Like what's, what's missing from this that would make this good news? How about, how about for starters the word Yahweh? <laughs> the person of Yahweh. Nowhere is he present in this message. Uh, the second thing, uh, the fact that God gives second chances. N- nowhere in this message. Third, how about this? Um, God's chesed, unfailing, steadfast love, his grace and his mercy. So it's not like Jonah walked in and said, hey guys, like in 40 days, Nineveh is gonna be overthrown. But guess what? Good news is that the deeper your sin, the deeper God's grace. He doesn't say that. Why? It's a good question, and we don't know the answer to that. It's possible, because back in in verse 1 or 2, when when God says, he says, I will give you the message to give to them. So it's possible that God's message was just these five words. But it's also possible that this is Jonah's way of sabotaging God's plan. We don't know. I think it's ambiguous. I think that the author doesn't answer that for us because he wants us to sit in that tension. What is the state and the nature of Jonah's heart even in the midst of him being obedient to what God has asked him to do? But nonetheless, here's what happens in verse five. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Okay, now that's just the the, the word God there. It's just the general word for God. It's not Yahweh. Uh, But how can you believe in Yahweh if Yahweh's not part of the message? So they believe God, right? But that's a good thing. And so whatever it is, whatever type of repentance that's happening in this moment with the Ninevites uh, is a really big and powerful work. Why? Because it says that they called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So I want to show you something back on our board here. 
<clears throat> so if we were to think about you know, Nineveh as a big city, right? So wherever Jonah would have entered in, let's say he enters in here, so wherever he is, this is where he is, he would begin to preach, right? But inside of the city are these concentric areas, right? And the king would be in here, right? The king would be in here in his kind of throne area. And so this is what's crazy, is that Jonah enters into Nineveh and he begins to preach the gospel. And as he does, as he's preaching really this prophecy, this all goes all the way in from the outside in all the way to the center, which is totally backwards. Because in that time, what it would normally have looked like is that an emissary would come to the king, he would tell the king, and then the king would make an edict and he would force the entire city to do whatever it is that he wants to do. Guess what? When a king forces you to do that, how, how much of that like, is really centered in the heart of the people? Like, it's not. But when Jonah enters into the city and he starts preaching, guess what? It's like the wave in sports. It's like, and it goes, and it goes, and it filters in. And it makes the story totally backwards. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. It's not the way it normally happens. But what the, what the author is reminding us is like how backwards this is. What if this happened? This is so crazy, so incredible. Can you imagine being a part of something like that? You walk in and you preach and just all the way to the middle. It goes and goes and goes. It's this incredible, incredible, incredible story. And, and the message says this. It's the, um, Eugene Peterson's strategy. He talks about the rich, the poor, the famous, the obscure, the leaders, and the followers. All of these people would have naturally just repented. And so, so it's easy for us, I think, and easy for Jonah to look in those scenarios and to be fearful of those types of people. And yet, these types of things don't happen in a vacuum. And so historians have pointed out that the people of Nineveh at the time were experiencing a lot of natural disasters. And so when natural disasters happen, right, everybody is on edge. And so Jonah is entering into a city unbeknownst to him as that God has been doing a tremendous work in the hearts of people, preparing them for these five words. It's crazy. Absolutely cool. It's so neat the way that God works in this moment. And so it reminds me of a couple passages from the New Testament. Here we go into, into Mark chapter 5. As we, as we enter into Jesus' ministry, go back one, sorry, it kind of skips there. Um, it says this, as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes and Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, here's what they say, why does he eat? Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And all of a sudden, what we see is that in Jesus' own ministry, where is he at? He's amongst the Ninevites. He's, he's amongst the people that everybody else in their culture despised and rejected. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the, the major sinners, all of those people. Where do you find Jesus? That's where you find him. That's crazy. I didn't, come, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. Which goes to Romans 10. I love this way that Paul talks about this in Romans 10. He lists out these, these few questions. How will they, right? How then will they call on him in whom they have not 
believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Right? You see the logic. This is the way. It's a logical connection all the way through this. And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Right? That's where it starts. Right? So how can they call on God unless <laughs> the far end there, there are people that are sent to those people? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's awesome. Right? And so we go, as a Salem church, we want to be about sending and equipping and putting people in, in global areas where they are opening up doors for the gospel. But we also, right here, are called to live missionally. Next one, last one, Romans 1.16. We talked about this last week. And it's this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. There's so many reasons that we could probably unpack about why we might be ashamed of the gospel because it, it puts people on edge, it makes people upset, it's... it's yeah, a whole bunch of different things, right? But here he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Give me a good reason why I should not be ashamed of the gospel. Here's one. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay? I love this. We come over here, just back again. See, when... when God looks at Jonah, and he looks at the people of Nineveh, right? Chapter one, he says, this is my mission. I want you to do it. He doesn't do it. We get a second chance. The mission is still the same, right? And here is this, this thing, right? Like, and God looks at Jonah and says this, Jonah, I have a huge, powerful gospel purpose for you. What I did in you, everything that I did in you, all of the depth of the love and the forgiveness that you experienced here, I want that to turn into your purpose. And I want that to come over here to these people who desperately need it as much as you did. And yet, I look at this and then I come over here and I say, but why do I oftentimes find myself here? instead of here. Why do you find yourself here instead of here? Remember, this is, a con this is the consequences of Jonah's own plan, right? God said, this is my plan, I want you to do this, and Jonah says, I have my own plan. And so he says, this is the way that I want life to look, and so really, it's another way of saying this. preferences. These are my preferences. God says, here's what I want your life to look like. Here's what I want you to do. And Jonah says, that's really not the way that I want life to look like. And so I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to live life according to my preferences. And Jonah had a preference over purpose mentality. And when that happens, there's a power struggle that happens in our lives. By the way, preferences happen all over the place, right? They come out in everything. Like in personal, personal preferences, like we have personal preference uh, around, like for Nikki and I, we wanted to have our own biological kid and that wasn't God's plan for us. Maybe we're somebody single and their preference is that they would be married. Maybe our preference is that we would make more money. Maybe our preference is to be at a different college. Maybe our preference is all of those types of things, right? All those things are good things, they're not bad things. They really aren't. Sometimes our preferences pull into the church. 
though. Sometimes our preferences pull into the church. Like, like we, want, um, we want the lights up. We want the lights down. We want um, worship this way, worship that way. We want a suit and tie preacher. We want a skinny jeans preacher. We want tattoos. We want, we want more, more um, quips from like social media. We want all of those things. We want less of that. There's all these different preferences. And none of those things are bad. All of those things are good. All of those things are good, but here's the problem. When those preferences become the ultimate thing, there is a power balance struggle. And things shift and change in our lives. We have this preference over purpose mentality. And I want to tell you guys this, and I said this this first service. I think this is so important for us to hear. What the world needs and what the church needs subsequently, what the world and the church need is... Christians who are more devoted to the mission and the vision of Jesus than they are to the preference of their church. So important. And sometimes in life, sometimes in life, not all the time, but sometimes we need to sacrifice our preferences so that the purpose of Yahweh can be fulfilled. I want to invite the worship team up so we could sing a song, um, but I want to end with a few questions uh, for you guys. And the first one starts with the cave. Where does the power lie in my life? Because we lie at Romans 1.16, right? The power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is for the salvation of all who believe, right? Um, where does the power lie in my life? Is it in my gospel purpose or is it in my preference? It's a Powerful, powerful question. Table. As you go home today, as you sit around the table and you talk with people from family or friends or just contemplate on your own, how would you describe heaven and hell to someone who doesn't know Jesus? We didn't really even talk about that today, but it's a great question. And then the road, let's live missionally. Like, it's just a challenge. Let's live missionally. And I want to end with this final, this final piece is this, is that uh, here we are over in life, and we talked about this this last week, right? Is that somewhere along this, somewhere in this journey is where I am at most of the time. I'm, I'm running from God. And to the depth that I experience that, to the depth that I acknowledge my own sin and brokenness is, is the depth that I understand God's grace. So here's my question. If I understand the depth of my sin to be right there, what happens when God presents an opportunity for me to talk to someone who's down here? Because then all of a sudden, it becomes like trying to describe cookie butter with never actually eating it. Earlier we sang this, this song, um, Sing Wherever I Go, and, uh, and as I wrap up, I just want to encourage you in this way, because maybe you're like, man, I am scared and afraid to admit the brokenness in my life. I am, I am afraid to get down in the, into the nitty-gritty mess of my life, and can I just tell you, there's no need to be afraid, because here's the good news, is that the deeper your sin goes, the deeper God's grace goes. It's so good. Allow yourself to experience the goodness of God's grace because the more that you do, the more you will sing wherever you go. And as we sing this last song, Waymaker, would you start just by pondering the goodness of God, but would we celebrate together the purpose that he's given us as he is paving the way. Let's pray. 
Father, Lord, I, I just come before you right now in this moment, and I just want to pray this, this Romans 1.16 over each of us. For I, for we, are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation for all who believe. God, would you take us deeper and deeper into the authentic moments of our life where we can share and be vulnerable about the brokenness in our life, and then may we experience the, 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 ex, the extravagant grace of God but may we never give up and may we always be reminded of the people that you've called us to minister to right outside our door. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.